mindfulness mode. It's on your heart for a reason, and I think that you should let it change your life. Hey, Mindful Tribe, Bruce here. Right now, I am in Orlando, Florida, attending PodFest Multimedia Expo. I've met up with some awesome podcasting friends, learned loads about new ways of building a tribe and running a successful podcast. And one of those ways is making sure to celebrate successes. And guess what? We've now passed 4 million downloads on the show, and that calls for a celebration. I've recently sent out Mindfulness Mode t-shirts to three people who emailed me with responses to my recent call out, and I'll be telling you about our $4 million celebration. Stay tuned for that. And now... Sit back, relax, and enjoy today's episode. I'm here today with a digital nomad. And I think we are going to have such an interesting conversation because it really ties in with mindfulness 100%. She bought a one-way ticket out of the United States back in 2017 and has spent most of her time abroad ever since. And she's just been pushed by that feeling that life was passing her by. And she had a nine-to-five job. She had a, a very good job that she was not complaining about. She was thinking, well, this is okay. But there was some something eating away at Kayla. There was something telling her that there must be more to life, that life was supposed to be more interesting, more fun, more exciting than this. And so she made the big step and she became a digital nomad. And we're going to have a lot of fun talking to Kayla and learning about how she did it and what motivated her exactly to actually make that that move. So Mindful Tribe, I'm here today with Kayla Eurig. Kayla, are you in mindfulness mode today? I am. Thank you so much for that beautiful introduction, Bruce. It's so nice to be here. You're very, very welcome. And you have gone the next step because you've written the book about how to become a digital nomad, at least how you did it. And the book is so easy to read and it's so enjoyable and you're such a great storyteller. And so, you know, not everybody is able to do that, to put your words into... Um, words that make sense to other people. So I really appreciate that you did that. But before we get into talking about your book, tell me what mindfulness means to you, Kayla. Oh, to me, it's just the, it's what I I wanted so desperately whenever I was um, working in the corporate space. And I felt like life just flipped, like flew by. It was like a scene in a movie where like the calendar pages rip off the, you know, the months rip off the calendar, but nothing noteworthy happens. That's how I felt. I really felt like I was sleepwalking through life. Like things were just flying by and I wasn't really that engaged besides going to work, enjoying work enough, going home, going to the bar on the weekends. I kind of had that moment. I think a lot of listeners have probably had like is this what it was all for? Is this? And at, at 23, that's whenever I was, I entered the corporate world. I spent a year in nonprofit and then went into corporate. And I thought, is this it until I retire? Is this really what it's going to be? So that pushed me to try to, yeah, every day had to have more meaning than it was having at the time for me. And that was mindfulness. I think that's what was missing. Yeah. And I love how you described in your book how, you know, the first time we go to a new grocery store, it, seems like time slows down or the first time we go to a new place a new town or something like that it's like everything's different everything's new and time slows down but in your own life on a day-to-day basis time just slips away from us 
And have you always been so good at putting your thoughts into words? Oh, that's so nice. It means so much to hear that you liked the book. And not you're one of the few people who have read it because it's not released yet. So this is like treasured feedback for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've always, I really, my, 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 what is it? My, your inner voice. So everyone's inner voice is different. Um, I thought everyone's inner voice was the same. You know, you, you think that until you hear someone say, I think in colors and you think, gosh, I don't think in colors. <laughs> and I asked someone once they were, they grew up bilingual and I asked them what, what their inner voice. I said, well, what, what language do you think in? And they said, of course, I don't think in words, you know, of course I don't. And I thought, gosh, I do. I've always thought in words, I think in complete sentences. So in my mind, every thought I have is written. It's like it to me. So writing is very easy because it's exactly how I think. So there's no difference to me. And uh, that it just comes very naturally to me. That's really cool. And uh, something I discovered more recently is, you see, my, my son is into personality types. Mm. And so he's revealed a lot of things to me that I had no idea of. And one of them is that my wife loves sameness. That's mm. what makes her tick. If we go to a restaurant, she wants to go to a restaurant that we know that yeah. we're familiar with. And I'm the complete opposite. I want to go to a restaurant that's brand new. And so we had our anniversary on Monday. And so we went to a restaurant that we haven't been to before, but we went to see something that she had seen before. So uh, without going into detail, my son said to me, wow, dad, you really nailed it. You, you, know, you incorporated both aspects into that. And I could never understand not wanting to go to new places or new restaurants or new towns. Like I just thought, well, of course, everybody would want to do that. But everybody doesn't want to do that, do they, Kayla? No, it's amazing. It's so insightful that you learn that about you and your wife because I think about couples that I know who have been married for, you know, looking at my own, the, the couples I grew up seeing, you know, and uh, I think some people have still not kind of figured out or they just haven't been able to articulate it about themselves and know what's different. That's a really special insight into your marriage. Yeah, yeah, it is. So when way back in 2017, when you first started thinking about this and then made the move, how was it that you actually were able to push forward and actually do that. Whereas so many people think about ideas like this, but then they're like, oh, well, you know, that would be too hard or something like that. How did you actually make it happen, Kayla? I was terrified. And everyone thinks that you just being terrified stops you from doing things. But for me, it really motivated me to make do something big with my life because uh, my last year of college, seven people in my life died freak accidents like cancer heart attack okay that's life you know that happens but plane crashes um my roommate's boyfriend just dropped dead one day he was in his 20s he had a seizure and just died and no they never found out why that there was no real that the, the, it was an inconclusive autopsy so i entered the working world with this feeling that literally anything might happen to me tomorrow like it might i could get hit by a bus tomorrow or be in a plane crash i really so i felt very afraid of life passing me by and I was really particularly motivated by my Aunt Jane. She was about to retire. If you asked her, how are you today? She wouldn't tell you how she was. She would tell you how many days there was until she retired. She knew at all times, starting at like 500, oh, 482 days till I'm retired. And walking out of work one day in the parking lot, she got hit by a car. 
and she passed and oh my gosh what oh that's so horrible it was such a traumatic year of my life but it was so formative because i entered i mean it's i entered the working world with like this incredible perspective thinking about the end i mean i thought about death a lot more than the average person did and probably still do but it was a gift it was it was terrible but i felt like i'm not gonna i can't wait until i'm you know i can't have these regrets whenever i'm 60 you know i don't want to be counting down until i retire and uh, that was what that fear really motivated me. I was much more afraid of uh, that than I was afraid of going traveling and not liking it and coming home or doing, you know, any of the of the fear of failure. To me, it was nothing compared to the things I was genuinely afraid of. And did you immediately liquidate? Was this a challenge? Because I know for some people, it's like, oh well, I could never, you know, I could never part with my stuff. Oh yeah. It was, it was a transition for me. It it was hard. First I got rid of some stuff and then I got a storage unit and kept some of it in Chicago. I was living at the time. And then after three months, I ended up back in the U S for a short period. And I went to my storage unit and I cleaned out, let's say half of it. I got rid of half. And then I put that in my parents' game room because they said, Oh, you can leave it here. You know, we have the space. And then that sat in storage for five more years and I never used any of it. And I just got rid of it all last summer. I thought these are all in because I don't even know what's in these boxes because I've, and half of it was, oh, it broke, the batteries leaked and ruined it. That stuff wasn't useful anymore, even if I had one in it. So I threw away everything that was useless and I gave absolutely everything away to a charity. So, so is it easier for you now to let go of things? Like if you get something that you really like and then you think, oh, geez, I really like this. Is it, is it difficult to part with it if you decide later that, it's too cumbersome to carry when you're going somewhere? I just don't accumulate anything. I accumulate almost nothing. So I have a backpack, two backpacks. I have a big one on my back and then a smaller one that I carry like front flipped around. Mm -hmm. And that's all my stuff. That's everything. So I just say no to everything. That's how you describe it in the book. Yeah, I'm like a turtle. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And so what's the first country you went to? I went to Mexico first. And um, from there, I traveled south over land to Peru. And then I came to the Netherlands. I met my husband in Guatemala and I came to the Netherlands. That's where he's from. And that we lived there for five years using that as our home base and traveled a lot through Europe. And now we're traveling full time again. So um, kind of went through different phases of life there, living kind of more, you know, stationary and trap you you know we lived very small very simply we had like a one bedroom well it's kind of like a studio with like an open loft and um i'm so sorry about the sun (laughs) i'm sorry i don't know if you can see the sun on my face it's no problem (laughs) the clouds came out i'm sorry if i look weird with the shadow on my face (laughs) (laughs) it's perfectly fine your book is called how to be a digital nomad and the subtitle is build a successful career while traveling the world so how did you start to make money which is something that we generally need to do I started originally freelancing, freelance writing, any work that I could get. I was not picky. I thought I just need some experience working remotely. And I did that for a few months. And um, 
it wasn't the best arrangement. I just had my, I just wanted money coming in the door. And then I built up a bit of a savings buffer and explored some other freelance options. I mean, it was very ad hoc, you know, someone's in a Facebook group saying that they need help with a, you know, with a graphic design project. I used to do graphic design. So I said, oh, I'll help you with that. It was very free form and I had enough savings and I was spending very little money that I could, I had, I had the liberty to figure it out. So if you reduce how much money you goes out every month, you actually have a lot of freedom to explore and, you know, have things, you know, take time to develop. And then I started my business in 2018. I started a website, writingfromnowhere.com. I started in a hostel kitchen in London. And I thought everyone else, I see people with online businesses, not just freelancing to survive, but real businesses. And I thought, I want that too. I have no idea what it's going to look like or how I'm going to get there, but I thought it's got to start with a website. So I bought that website and I started writing and yeah that's kind of snowballed into writing for some pretty big publications um HubSpot and GoDaddy I'm writers for them I got my book deal through LinkedIn in my blog um of the publisher actually found my writing and offered me the book deal which was um you know privilege not many people usually goes the other way that you're selling your idea to publishers so it really all came through that step of just deciding I'm going to figure it out and I'm going to, you know, learn in real time. And yeah, using that as my kind of, I don't know, my like hobby shop to try things and experiment and build yeah. skills. Cause that's really what work money comes down to skills. Whenever you work remotely, it's not about showing up, you know, and like doing a role kind of, it's just, it's very like, can you do this? Yes. Okay. Uh, it's amazing how little conversation, like I've had people hire me who don't know my last name. We're just mm -hmm. talking online. Well, I guess my last name is usually there, but um, they, like, there's not the people aren't asking the questions that you normally ask. It's can you do this? Yes, great. Here's my money. So right. it's a different type of work, remote work, than uh, a normal nine to five. But a lot of it involves writing, correct? Yeah, for me, that's been the backbone: writing and marketing, then marketing in general. Because if you if you write online and you want someone to read it, then you also have to learn to market. So writing alone is not like a complete skill set. Um, if you're by yourself, so whenever I write for HubSpot, people see it because people read HubSpot. Millions of people yeah. read HubSpot, but whenever I write for writingfromnowhere.com, the world doesn't know, right? You know, nobody's going yeah. and just typing it in to see what I wrote today. So then you also become a marketer if you are by, you know, building your own business. Everyone is a marketer who builds their own business by default. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about the writing first. Have you always been a person who enjoyed writing even as a child? Yeah, I did enjoy writing a lot. I never thought I would become a writer. Um, but I enjoyed it a lot. And my dad always told me, you should be a writer. And uh, oh. his, his mom told him that he should be a nurse. And he didn't do it. And then 20 years later, he was in his 40s. He went to nursing school. So whenever I was in high school, my dad was in nursing school. And he said, Grandma told me to do this when I was a teenager. And I, I think you should be a writer, too, because that's your gift. And I went to school for art and then changed majors to journalism. So I was getting into the writing world. But I felt like I wanted to do more than just write. I really liked the digital side, like creation, graphic design was really like a big part of my role. And that's like what I did in the corporate world. I was a graphic designer and learning to be able to do that on my website. I could write, but then I had to do the graphic design to make images and to, you know, put it on Pinterest and Instagram. So it was that marriage of two loves. 
And I think that's why I enjoy doing it so much for free. You have to enjoy doing it if you're going to make money. A lot of people start a blog because they want to make money, but they don't like to write and they don't like to market. And I think you have to like something or you're not going to do it for very long. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Tell us about the marketing side of it. Was it just as easy as the writing? I mean, when I read your writing, it sounds like the words just flow. Oh. And when I talk to you, it sounds like, hey, you know, I just did the writing. Like, <laughs> was it? pretty easy and was the marketing pretty easy in a way um i didn't no it was hard i had to learn how to i had to learn how to write what people wanted to read and not just enjoy like i could uh you know come up with like a rambling blog post for my website but that doesn't mean it's helpful to anybody i had to learn a lot i had to change my writing style a lot i took webinars i took online classes I was reading tips on LinkedIn every day. How do you improve your writing? I was really, I saw it like, I told myself I was going back to college and instead of having assignments from a professor to learn, this is my assignment today is writing for my blog and I'm going to try to make everyone better. And uh, marketing it as well, it took a long time. I mean, I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know anything about getting website traffic. I didn't know how to write for search engines. Um, Pinterest, it was a big part of my business and driving traffic to my website. It didn't, didn't know any of it. So I had to learn all of it. And the learning process is very slow. And, uh, you know, you don't feel very good about yourself whenever you're learning like that, because you don't know if any of it's right. No one tells you a plus that you did this correctly. And I was so desperate for that whenever I was for the, say, for the first two years, I was so desperate for somebody to, to tell me you're doing this correctly. And no one shows up to tell you that <laughs> whenever mm. you're self-employed. But isn't the A plus when you get so many clicks? Yeah, uh, kind of, but you never, I guess to me, that was never enough. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I get, I am someone, I'm very competitive with myself. I always want everything to, I don't mind losing. Like I don't need to win, but I don't like failing. Like everything needs to be better improving. It needs to, you know, improve every time. And I even felt this whenever I was writing the book, I would send a chapter to my editor and he would say, this is really great. And then I would think, well, the next one needs to be better because I'm learning. And if I'm not learning, what am I doing? <laughs> what, you know, if I'm doing something over and over again and I'm not getting better, well, something's wrong with that equation right. to me. So right. um, I don't know. I put a lot of pressure on it to always be, always be a slight, even if it's only 1% improvement. That was mm. my attitude. To, that's kind of my attitude towards everything. Interesting. Well, is there a mindfulness aspect to writing as well? Because this kind of sounds like the opposite of mindfulness in a way. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a great question. Well, you have to be very mindful, I think, of how you're feeling whenever you write. Because yeah. um, whenever you write and you're not in a very positive like mental state, it comes through. Um, I had my editor tell me my first chapter was very negative, the first chapter of the book. And now you, you read the beginning of my book. It's very yeah. positive now, but I was writing it from a place of fear and am I doing a good job? And um, I wasn't mindful of how I was feeling and it really completely translated into the writing. So it requires you to really check in with yourself constantly and, um, I think your mood just impacts your writing so much and, and your mood impacts everything that you do. So of course it impacts your writing as well. So you have to be mindful about how you're feeling and you like watch, don't let yourself slide off the road kind of, you know, and mm -hmm. you need to watch out for those kind of like mental guardrails that you put up for yourself about how you're feeling. I think that all comes down to being more mindful as you work. Yeah, I think so too. Kayla, do you meditate? I've tried. Um, I've not been very successful at it. 
<laughs> my mind kind of wanders very quickly and uh, start thinking about my inbox and emails. Um, mm -hmm. Do you like to meditate? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do a walking meditation on a regular basis, and I like other forms of meditation as well. And it's it's really helps me become centered and more grounded. But I just wonder if writing for you is a form of meditation. Oh, I love that. I think so. I feel very at peace whenever I write. And I always, I've described my head. <laughs> this is how I describe it to my husband. Um, it's like a gallon of milk or a jug of milk. Um, and then you, I wake up every morning and I need to pour it out. And I need to get it, all the thoughts out, and then I feel better. But if I don't write and get all, it's like untangling all of the, you know, chaos. <laughs> yeah. And I feel better after I write. I feel like it's very cleansing. And even if it's just journaling, it doesn't have to be writing for anyone to read it. I think it's incredible. Yeah, yeah I do too. I think it's incredible as well. But I want to know about artificial intelligence, chat GPT. <laughs> Does any of this play a role? How How is this sitting with you? Uh, I hate writing generated by chat GPT. Um, I consider it to be a plagiarism tool whenever it's used to write. Like there are people mm -hmm. producing books. Um there are people that there, there are AI algorithms that are made to mimic the concept and the voice of an author and then mimic the cover of the book and pretty much trick people into thinking that they're reading someone famous, a famous book. But in reality, they're reading an AI knockoff. And I know that's the extreme version of it. I just saw an example of this. I think it was the four hour work week where it was yeah AI generated version of Tim Ferriss's ideas and a cover that looked exactly like his, but was different enough to be legal. Um, I think it's garbage. I'm personally not worried about it, but um, I do worry about the kind of upcoming next generation of writers, of at least content writers. Let's say the writing that I do most of my days, I'm writing, doing writing for for Google, you know, like search engine yeah. writing. Yeah. And that's, you have to learn that and you have to be a quality writer in order to like learn the skills. And I just think, Usually, you know, every few years, there's like a whole crop of like young people who have moved up behind you who are, you know, doing what you're doing now. And they've learned the ropes and kind of climbed the ladder a little bit. And I think who's going to be there if everyone's using AI to write? No one's going to be learning these skills or sharpening themselves. Like it takes writing. To me, it's kind of watering down the value of it as a craft. But I know that I, you can't stop it. So I, I don't think about it too much, to be honest. Right. It doesn't sound like it's much of a part of your life at all. No, it's not a part of my life at all. I like it yeah. that way. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Writingfromnowhere.com is your website. Did it take you a long time to come up with that name or did it just instantly pop into your head? It was pretty spontaneous. Um I don't know. I I wanted. I knew that I had to write to find the answers I was looking for, and that sounds kind of mystic or cryptic, and it's not meant to. But I thought I don't know what I want to do, and the, what what kind of business do I want? I don't know. But the only way I'm going to find out is through writing. I, I knew myself well enough to know I had to process my thoughts and everything that way. So I knew it was going to be writing, and I had actually I would I was bouncing all over. I was bouncing between countries at that point. I didn't know where I was going to be the next week, what country I would be in, and. Uh, uh, yeah, nowhere felt a pretty appropriate. And nowhere is a beautiful word. Nowhere, like the definition of nowhere is um, not belonging to any place. And uh, I still feel that way. Six years, it's been six years since I lived in the U.S. And I still feel like I'm nowhere in a very beautiful way. 
Tell me what connected you to your husband when you first met. Oh. What What is that all about? Um, he enjoys life so much. Like, he loves life. And mm-hmm. I think that it's really obvious whenever you meet someone who really loves life. At least for me, coming from the U.S., uh, people are pretty stressed out. I think that life is hard for many people. And um, he just enjoyed life so much. It was like almost confronting. He's like, oh, I'm not worried about, you know, anything. And he was just having a good time. I kind of never experienced that sort of uh, stress-free, that like weightlessness. And uh, we met in Spanish school in Guatemala. And then we just started traveling together. Oh, I'm going to El Salvador next. Do you want to come? Sure. And then, well, I'm going to go to... Uh, Panama next. Okay, sure. I'll go to Panama. (laughs) And we just traveled together overland for several countries for a few months. And then, yeah, I fell in love. (laughs) That's, that's absolutely awesome. A beautiful story. Would you say he's a mindful person? Oh, yeah. He's so, yeah, it's like a gift. His mom actually talks about it. He was like, this is a baby. That he like other they would have you know he'd be around other kids and other kids are all hectic and kind of whatever and he would just be like smiling in the sun. He has always <laughs> been this way. It's his gift. Wow, that is a beautiful gift to have. That's for sure. Wow. Where do you think you'll be going next, Kyla? Mm, gosh, um, I think Greece next, but nothing's booked, so it could be uh, anywhere. Yeah, and uh, so is that your idea or his? Mm, um it's oh i guess it was his idea because we need to fly out of athens to go to uh portugal we have we have plans four months from now on the calendar and nothing until then so uh we know that we need to get we're going to be in portugal in march so we we should probably fly out of athens and he said why don't we just spend a month in greece okay (laughs) let's do it then yeah, we live out of Airbnb because we, we don't have an apartment. Um, I don't know if I mentioned that, just to, uh, that adds a little bit more context to the drifting. You know, we, yeah. uh, this is our yeah. lives. You know, we rent Airbnbs one month at a time and just move around uh, to a new country ever, every month or a few months. Yeah. Have you felt like the Airbnb experience has changed over the last five to seven years? Mm, I think it's changed for the better in some places. In terms of the user experience, but I do mm-hmm. feel like Airbnb, it's not all positive. The, some communities have been really negatively impacted by it. New York City just banned Airbnb, and I think it was a very positive thing. Oh. Um, because so many rentals, they were t- catering to tourists. I think a, a location needs to cater to its citizens first and foremost, and tourists should be after, an, you know, that they, they, tourists need to come second. So whenever locals can't find housing because it's all being rented out to tourists, I think that's a real problem. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I know it's a problem in some cities. I've heard that as well. Yeah. So I always ask a question about bullying, Kayla. Do you have a story about bullying sometime in your life where mindfulness would have made a difference? Mm. Um, that's a good question. I... I don't know. I have not experienced a lot of bullies in my life. I've been very lucky in that regard. Um, I'm not sure. I don't think I can. I don't. Th- no stories come to mind there. I mean, I've experienced a lot of negativity, some name calling in the workplace, but um, I guess I never classified it as bullying because that didn't haunt me. Sure. I think bullying sure, is yeah. a pretty impactful negative experience, and that was. Just, I would agree. Yeah, I don't think I can talk to anything that really does that word justice. 
Sure. Well, I want to ask you about haters as far as your writing is concerned. Have you experienced that online? Because most people that have received a lot of uh, attention online have also experienced that. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about one of the most challenging situations that you've run into as far as travel and writing is concerned. What pops into your head that was just really tough to deal with? Um. Well, in terms of hurdles traveling, there's a lot of language barriers. Um, sometimes the negative side of being in another country, like people trying to rip you off or scam you, um, it comes with a lot of challenges to live in a country. And, you know, I'm never in a country long enough to learn the language much, you know, the basics. But um, like right now we're in Croatia, we're only here for a month or two, so we're not going to be becoming fluent in Croatian. So just kind of always dealing with the the bare minimum information is a real challenge as a traveler. Uh, like the other day, we, we knew that the grocery stores were closed here on Sundays. And on Saturday, we said, well, we'll go to the grocery store and, uh, you know, stock, you know, get food for tomorrow. But here it was a national holiday. And um, the grocery stores were closed on Saturday also. And thank goodness there was a bag of spaghetti in the cabinet, but we would have legitimately had nothing to eat. And okay, it's two days. It's like a funny story now, but um, that's kind of life. Like we never have all the info um, about anything traveling. And sometimes it really, it's, yeah, sometimes it bites you pretty bad. Yeah. I'm interested in whether you've thought of having children and if you if you did decide to, how that would impact your life as a digital nomad? Mm, I, I'll always be a remote worker. Um, I'll, I mean, I have my own business. I'm never, I don't see myself going back. So I'll always be digital, but uh, a nomad, not so much. I'm not sure. We, My husband and I talk about having kids and we are kind of happy either way. We haven't decided but uh, a lot of people tell me, oh, just have kids, you'll figure it out. You know, nothing that much has to change. And I think you do not get the way I live if you think nothing has to change. We don't make any plans. I mean, it wasn't even that long ago that we had a miscommunication with the tickets and we had to squat in a parking garage overnight. Uh, you don't do that stuff with kids. No, not, I, no. I would disagree. I think things have to change. <laughs> a lot. Also, I think having children just changes your whole life. Yeah, I think, yeah, it, I'm a bit sensitive to comments from people. Well, you should just have kids are portable. I'm like, are they? Tell me about how much time you spent in a foreign country with a baby. <laughs> uh, they might be portable, but it doesn't mean it's fun for anybody. No, it's not easy. I know that we traveled when our son was very young. We went across Canada to the East Coast and I mean, we were able to do that because we were driving and we, we could just kind of make choices as we went. Yeah. It was not easy, though. No. <laughs> you know? It was not. No. And you have to account for other people's needs. I mean, it's another person. We were on the train in Austria a couple of weeks ago and we were like taking, we were just in shock going through the Alps in autumn. We were like, oh my gosh, we're taking pictures. And this woman next to us started laughing and she said, I love seeing tourists because uh, it reminds me of how beautiful it is. I'm just on my way home from work. And and then she, we talked about travel and she also traveled extensively, but her, she's a child that has very severe allergies. And she said, every time we stay in a hotel, he gets a rash over his, his whole body. Uh, it's just, you have a whole other person's needs to consider. And I think uh, it's important to not uh, 
brush that aside. Like, well, your, you know, your life is a freight train and kids will just be on it and go wherever, you know, you need to take them into account. Yeah. I enjoyed your book, How to Be a Digital Nomad, but what other feedback have you received from, from your book? Oh, um, the nicest comment I received was, um, one of, uh, someone who endorsed it, who read it, they said that it was, um, equal parts, entertaining, informative, and inspirational. And that was all I wanted. (laughs) I wanted it to be, have all the info of a how-to guide, which it is a how-to guide, but I wanted it to have like all the inspiration of a hug and, you know, like come with a hug with it and, uh, a lot of funny stories, kind of having the cadence of a memoir while being really informative because you, ha- you can't talk about travel without laughing and telling stories. Or if you are doing it, I just don't think you're doing it right. You need to laugh at all these experiences and talk about the funny things that might go wrong because things go wrong all the time and you need a good sense of humor about it. Yeah, I would agree. I just finished a book where it <clears throat> it just felt kind of awkward. Like I liked the book, but it didn't flow the mm. way a lot of books do. And in your book, there was something very comfortable about it. Like the, mm. the sentences flowed and it was just really comfortable to read and entertaining and enjoyable. That's what I liked. And and I it, it sounds like you really like to tell stories. Like even at the very beginning, you know, you told the little story of the bus, you know, oh. the bus coming and it didn't come to a complete stop. And you described the look of the bus with its different colors and everything. And it was only like a moment or two in time that you were able to create a story that for the reader was really enjoyable and it really helped me understand you and what your life is like as a digital nomad. That means so much. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, Like I said, you're one of the only people who have read it. So, um, I mean, I could cry. It makes me so happy to hear that those stories resonated and um, helped paint a picture and yeah, kind of brought people on board. I wanted people to feel like they were jumping on that bus, you know. Um, and for the listeners, there's I start with a little story about a bus in Guatemala. I learned that buses don't stop the whole way whenever you get on. So they slow down and then they like wave you on and you have to run and jump onto a moving vehicle and um, talking about that. And I feel like it's such a metaphor for life and ways. Like the things you want to do will not, like it's not going to be comfortable, like, it's going to stop and someone's going to say, oh, would you like to get on? And you're like, oh, sure. I feel like that's kind of every adventure in life. You say, I don't know, but I'm saying yes. And let's just see what happens. Yeah, that's so refreshing. Is there a city or a country you've gone to where you just thought, well, I'm never coming back here? Oh, my. Um, I, well, in the... Hmm, in the U.S., I hate Nevada. That's my least favorite state. I've traveled through most of the states in the U.S., and Nevada is a place I hope to never go back to. But I'm trying to think abroad. Most places, even whenever it's a really bad experience, there's something nice to it. Um, I can't think of anywhere that I would absolutely not go back to in terms of countries. Oh, that's pretty interesting. So water or mountains, which would you prefer? water yeah well there's a lot of places you can go where you can be near the water aren't there 
Yeah, that's my that's our goal. We try to be like pretty on the water wherever we go. Um, we just spent a couple of months in Mexico, and the one, uh, the last Airbnb we had was on the Gulf Gulf of Mexico. And at night, if you like woke up to get a glass of water, it would open our bedroom door and hear the waves. And oh, wow. that is part. Uh, and I'm saying it now. I'm thinking, wait, why did we leave? I don't remember. <laughs> it's pretty cold here right now in Croatia. I'm like wearing a sweater as opposed to the tropics we were in. But right, yeah, yeah. What are what are some of your tricks for finding the best Airbnb? Well, if you are willing to stay in for a month, and I know willing, you know, not everyone has the is able. But let's say you're able and willing to stay somewhere for a month, you are going to see huge discounts in a lot of countries. So you can automatically get a much nicer Airbnb uh, for a, like an affordable price ticket, you know, price tag that you couldn't have gotten before. For example, um, uh, our Airbnb in Croatia is normally for a month three thousand dollars U.S. dollars, but we got it for a thousand because of the monthly discount. Wow! So and that discount is right rate. there, built in. You don't have to negotiate yourself for that, do you? No, it's built in. Yeah, you set an Airbnb. You go to when you're traveling, and if you say I'm flexible, and then say month, and it says how long are you going? Like a weekend, a week. Uh, I'm flexible. Click a month, and then you'll see. And you have to click on the Airbnbs to see the discounts. Uh, it doesn't appear automatically anymore. But if you spend some time putzing around and on the desktop, it's a lot easier on your computer. You, you might very well be shocked. I've seen places that are 20% of their normal cost from nice rentals for 20% of their normal cost. Like not 20% off, 80% off. <laughs> it's wow. incredible what you can find. Wow, that's that's awesome. Yeah, I've stayed at lots of Airbnbs, but not for an extended time, like not for a month. I've never stayed for a month anywhere. So that's really interesting information. Kayla, as we move forward in the interview, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. So just 30 second answers are perfect. The first one is this. Who is one person who has been a very powerful mindfulness influence for you? Oh, that's my husband, Barry Yun. I already introduced him and his Zen. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's been. And a how is. <clears throat> yeah, it sounds like he's amazing. It sounds like he's very mindful. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how has mindfulness helped you deal with your emotions? Um, I feel overwhelmed very easily. I think it's kind of the lifestyle of being self-employed and traveling abroad, but um, staying mindful into what's actually needs, you know, what is actually a pressing issue right now. That for me has been really like boiling it down to this situation, solve this problem. Don't think about the big picture. Uh, that has been really impactful for me. Right. Let's talk about breathing. Do you have any special breathing techniques or any thoughts on breathing? I try to be mindful of my breath whenever I'm feeling anxious or overwhelmed. But, uh, oh, and before bed, I always focus on my breathing and just kind of like feel my body relax. And I used to have a hard time falling asleep. And now with I, that's something I've been doing. And it's, it's helped me kind of clear my head a lot more quickly. Well, I recommend your book, How to Be a Digital Nomad, but tell me about any other books that you've read that you might recommend that are somehow related to mindfulness. Mm, um, I am a big fan of uh, the, it, it's a bit of a cliche, but the the seven habits of highly effective people. Um, I'm forgetting the author's name, Stephen something. Um, I think that's kind of just a 
that book was really impactful for me talking about your reality and kind of framing up what you believe, which I think is really rooted in mindfulness, being aware of what you believe. Cause most people don't even reach that level. A lot of people don't reach that level of awareness about their situation right. and then having enough in- influence over their thoughts to change what they believe about their, you know, what they're, what's capable for them. That was really impactful for me. I think it's a classic for a reason. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Stephen Covey. Yes. yes. Yeah. <laughs> it is such a classic, such a great book for sure. Absolutely. And are there any apps that you use or would recommend that are really related to mindfulness in some way? I actually try to be very, very minimal with my phone and with all my digital, I kind of call it like a digital diet. And that for me is actually a bit more impactful for me in terms of being mindful. I uh, I, I say in the book, uh, I, I encourage in the book that you should be as like stringent and uh, picky with how you spend your, your attention on your digital assets as you are with your money, because you're kind of thinking of your time as like a currency, which I think it is, and your attention is a currency. So I try to keep it as minimal as possible because whenever you open up your phone and you have like a million things, I think you don't realize how much attention you're giving things that you don't care about. So trying to be mindful about that process. Yeah. Well, I really admire what you did, how you were able to, you thought of this idea, but you took it further. You you made it a reality. And that's the difference. That's what a lot of people, I think, don't do. They aren't able to actually turn some thoughts into reality. So fantastic. As we wrap up the interview, Kayla, do you have any final words of advice for our Mindful Tribe listeners? Yeah. If anyone's wanting to travel and try to improve their mindfulness. I would say if anyone is still listening and you're wondering, oh, is it worth it? Is it too risky? Do people regret it? I would say you should do it because if you're still listening and you're still thinking about traveling and you want to use this as like a tool to improve your mindfulness, which travel, it can be so, I think it can be life-changing, um, then you should do it. That's your sign. Just the fact that you're still here listening to this conversation. I mean, it's on your heart for a reason. And I think that you should let it change your life the way it's trying to if you're feeling pulled out that way great advice kayla thank you so much for being a guest on mindfulness mode thank you bruce it was so nice (laughs) awesome bye now bye Hey, Mindful Tribe, thanks for joining us today. And I want to thank my sponsor, Athletic Greens. They have a product called AG1. And I can tell you that this is a terrific product. It contains 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source ingredients, and probiotics. Whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free, this will work for you. It contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals, no artificial ingredients. It supports better sleep and better alertness. Athletic Greens uses the best products based on the latest science and it costs less than $3 a day. So here's a special offer for you, Mindful Tribe. Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash mindfulness. And with that, take what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.